Yeah. <laughs> I hope you guys are fired up because I am like blazing torching hot today. Last service was incredible, and uh, we just had so much fun. I really didn't want to stop. So the good news is, is I don't have to stop. I can just keep right on going with you guys, right? So, uh, so thank you. I appreciate that. Some of you are like, where's my wife? Because she was supposed to preach last week and this week. And uh, last week, she pushed it to this week because we had traveled to Dallas together, and she wanted to just have some extra time with the kids in the morning. And this week, Zion has been sick for the last three days, and he's been throwing up and not feeling well, and she's like, I got to stay home with him. So she told me about 10 o'clock last night that I was going to be preaching today, uh, which means that you guys are going to get a lot of rabbit trails, and you're gonna, I'm going to be all over the place. No, I'm not. Actually, you, you know I'm never short on things to say. You know that, right? I mean, my biggest struggle on a Sunday is not, uh, is not finding what I'm going to say. It's not stopping. stopping. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it's like, what am I not going to say? And so this morning, I'm going to share with you guys uh, some very personal things and things that I believe are very relevant to all of you. All right. So let's pray. Welcome to everybody that's watching right now on our YouTube live stream or watching us online, or listening to us through podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Rock City Church and for Corpus Christi and all the churches of this city. Thank you for what you're doing in the body of Christ, Texas, and that we're here for a purpose and a reason. That for such a time as this, Lord, you created us, and you put us here. And I pray, Lord, for those that are wondering what's next and what's happening in their life, those that are battling questions and uncertainty, and even those that are battling fears and worries and addiction and depression, I pray that today they would find answers. And I pray, Lord, this word that you've given me would strengthen them and equip them to walk as you walk, to love as you loved, and to live as you lived. I thank you, Lord God, for a great purpose and plan for all of our lives. It's to be like you, to know you, to love you, and to follow you all the days of our lives. I thank you, God, for real family. I thank you that it's not just a word that we flippantly use, but it's a word we know and understand. Thank you, Lord, for unity, true governmental structure in the kingdom that brings life and healing and health to everyone that comes here or listens to the things that come out of this church. We love you so much. We're so thankful, and we're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of quick things. Uh, December 14th and 15th, we'll have Jose and Dana Diaz here from the Heart of David Ministries with Rick Pino. Dana Diaz will be leading worship on Saturday night, the 14th, and then uh, Jose will be preaching on the 15th, and Dana will also be leading worship that morning. If you have not heard Dana Diaz's album, All Eyes Are On Him, I highly recommend that you get it right now on iTunes. We have listened to it every single night for like the last two and a half years. Uh, my kids love that album, especially at bedtime, and every song on it's great, and we listen, we do a lot of the songs here. So Jose is a fiery, wild preacher that I love to no end. We support their ministry here at Rock City Church, and so there'll be a Heart of David event on the 14th. He'll be preaching on the 15th. We also have our New Year's conference that will be the 29th to the 1st. We're going to have eight services, and we have five families coming in. Brad and Susan McClendon will be here. We'll have Chris and Danielle Burns. Uh, Jason Lee Jones and his wife, Regina Jones. We'll have Scott and Marcy Neri from 420 Church, uh, 420 Fire Ministries. And then we'll also have a new couple that I'm going to introduce you to from New Orleans. 
and it is Heather and Darren Burnham, and they pastored the Hub Church in New Orleans, and they are a church that's very similar to how we were when we started. She is the senior pastor there, and her husband supports her, but she never wanted to be a pastor and never thought that she would be. She was leading street outreach to New Orleans, to Bourbon Street, when God just rocked her world, and somebody handed her a beautiful church, and her and her husband took it. They pastor it together, and uh, it's gone from 30 people to 200 people, and God's really connected us to help them and how they're building the church and to be partnered with them. So you'll hear them at our New Year's conference, the 29th to the 1st, all right? More information on that to come. So today I want to share some real personal things with you about my life. I share about my life a lot because I believe that when I share my story and my testimony, not only can it inspire you in whatever it is that you're facing and going through, but can cause you to live the way that I have lived in so many ways, and I want that for you. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. And we live in a day and age where not a lot of people want to really follow somebody, or if we're following somebody, it's on social media and it's not real relationship. And so I want my life to be an inspiration for you, and I want to share stories with you that God has done in my own life that have helped me to make it through every questioning or difficult season that I've ever faced. Every decision that I've ever made that I would consider really big life decisions, I've had a divine inspiration from God about that decision. I don't believe that I've ever made a big decision haphazardly. And big decisions to me are things like switching jobs, switching churches, moving cities, buying a house, your children and where they're going to go to school. Uh, There's a lot of what I consider high-level big decisions. And a lot of times when we're feeling uncertain about our life and where we're to go and what we're to do and what the next thing is for us, if we don't get divine revelation from God, you can make a haphazard decision. And what I want you to know is haphazard is not a fruit of the Spirit. God doesn't want you to make haphazard decisions. He wants you to be divinely led and divinely inspired, and the Scriptures point to that everywhere. I don't believe that God wants you to guess. I don't believe in blind faith. I believe that's an oxymoron. I believe there's no such thing as blind faith. Even though God called Abraham to a land or a place he wasn't sure about, he ultimately had guidance and direction of where he was to go. I believe that God gives us confident faith and boldness and direction and understanding about our future. And I believe if we'll listen and we'll understand, we can make confident decisions even when they're hard. You know, sometimes God will ask you to do something you don't like, right? And I wish I could say, man, you're always going to like it, and it's always going to feel good, and it's always going to be easy, but it doesn't work that way. Because the cost of true discipleship is denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. And that means that sometimes you have to lay things down, or you have to make choices and decisions that some people won't like, or choices and decisions somebody's going to think you're crazy about, or doing something that may not make any sense in the natural. But, but if you can learn to get divine revelation and hear God's voice, and to see him supernaturally in the midst of difficult circumstances, you'll make it through that season, and you'll be present in it, not always worried and afraid and living for the next thing. I wouldn't be a good dad if I was never present. I'd be a terrible pastor if I'm not present. Could you imagine I'm dealing with broken homes and broken marriages and abusive kids, and I'm sitting in meetings, and I'm like, okay, let's hurry up and get this done, because i got to get to the next thing. And we live our lives more often thinking about tomorrow and the next thing than living in the present. 
And that's because if we don't get divine revelation about what God is saying to us right now and what he's saying about our tomorrows, then we'll never learn to live in the present and be rested. And hence, we're full of anxiety and fear and worry and doubt. And we really, a lot of times, want to quit. There's many times that I feel like I want to quit. There's many times that I feel like, man, you know, this can feel pointless. Why am I doing this? Sometimes people feel like God didn't move on your behalf when you thought he should. Or God, where are you? And why is this thing so long? Or we have this warped view about God the Father that you made your bed now lie in it. And he's mad at you and he's upset with you. And if you'll just measure up and perform a little bit more, God will move on your behalf. And it doesn't mean that I don't preach against sin and that there aren't consequences because sin will kill you and you'll be a walking spiritual dead person. And I don't want that for you either. And that's why God gives us his word and guidelines and parameters for a purpose. Not to to hold you back from what he has for you, but actually to make you healthier and more prosperous and to step into the things that he has for you in a greater way. And so what we have to do is have a good understanding of God's guidelines and parameters, why he says the things he says to us, even when we don't understand at times. Sometimes he'll call you to do something you don't want to do. Like here's a couple examples. The last place I wanted to go was Corpus Christi. I did not like Corpus Christi. I didn't want to, I didn't even really know where Corpus Christi was, just so that you know. I'm from Miami, and I always thought that God was going to call me back to Miami. I had an opportunity to lead a campus outreach with YWAM at the University of Miami with a ministry called, would you believe it, Waves. I used to be the vice president of this campus ministry called Waves. How prophetic is that? And it stood for, it was an acronym that stood for with a vision to evangelize students. And it was a campus outreach ministry. Did it for years and years and years. And then ultimately God called me to Oral Roberts University, which I did not want to go to Oral Roberts University. My dad thought that Oral and Richard were big crooks and that all they wanted to do was steal people's money. And I didn't know much about what happened when Oral built the City of Faith and Oral Roberts University because I wasn't watching tele-evangelists at that time. I was watching The Grateful Dead. I was at concerts and partying, and I had nothing to do to know about that. But then when I finally uh, decided I was going to go to ORU, my dad was like, why, you don't want to go there, they're big crooks. And so I was like, okay, maybe I won't go there. And I started questioning it. And, but I have all these people that come, kept coming to me and telling me, what about Oral Roberts University? What about Oral Roberts? I said, oh, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. But people would keep saying it to me. Then finally, you know what I did? I prayed about it. You know, when you really don't want to do something or you're really mad at your spouse, you typically don't pray for them and you don't pray about God's direction because you just don't want to do that. But I finally prayed about it and God said, I wanted you to go there. He wanted me to go there and he wanted me to get a business degree, not a ministry degree. I said, but Lord, I know I want to be a pastor and I'm called to full-time ministry. He said, yeah, that's why I want you to go get your business degree. Now that was in 1996. That was 22 years ago. And finally, God got a hold of me, and he said, I want you to go to ORU. And I said, yes. Thank God. I went to Oral Roberts University. And when I got there, I had said that I didn't want to work in the corporate world because I was going to go to school during the day, and I was going to wait tables at night and just be a table waiter. When God said, yeah, I don't want you to be a table waiter your whole life. I want you to actually make the sacrifice and go to school on the weekends, and I want you to trust me that I have a purpose and a plan for you even when you're only making $15,000 a year. And I said, okay. 
And so I started going to school on the weekends, and I sacrificed my, the, the money that I was making as a table waiter, and I just started giving God my all right where I was at. And next thing you know, the door opened up for me to get a corporate job. And that corporate job only paid me $15,000 a year. And I said, Lord, I don't want to just go take this job for $15,000 a year. He goes, if you don't chase after money and positions and promotions, one day they'll chase after you. And every decision that I ever made, when I finally got the call to go to Corpus Christi, I was like, I don't want to go to Corpus Christi. I was happy where I was at. And then a guy, a pastor calls me and says he had a dream about me. Somebody that I didn't even know called me up and said, I had a dream about you. I said, okay, what is it? He goes, I saw you standing next to a huge TV screen ministering to thousands of young adults. And I was actually being recruited to be a video campus church pastor at Lantana and I-37. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a campus pastor. I didn't want and there's all these times where I kicked and I bucked and I fought, but then finally God spoke to me and said, this is the divine direction I want for you. And he spoke to me because I asked him and I listened and I sought his face. Even before I gave my life to the Lord, God spoke to me. Here's a classic example. I get busted for drugs. I make it back to Miami in 1992. I'm facing a third degree felony. I'd gotten scabies. It was all over my apartment. I finally got rid of it. And I finally was like, okay, I'm going to deal with this charge on my life. And bam, Hurricane Andrew rolls right over my house. Literally, a Category 5 wipes everything out. And so I'm sitting out on my balcony looking at total destruction. 300,000 people are left homeless. 300,000 people were homeless. It was a Category 5, 1992. And I'm sitting on my four-story balcony. I'm smoking a big joint. And I'm meditating on, on crystals because that's all I knew to find comfort in, right? But none of it was working. It was 95 degrees outside. I was miserable. I was sweating. When I should have felt good or found comfort in those things, I didn't find any comfort from it. And then this little voice speaks inside my head, go read your Bible for answers. Now I'd try to read my Bible many times. It would sit on top of the dash of my 1984 Oldsmobile Tornado. That's what I had, covered in Grateful Dead stickers. And it would be next to all my crystals and parrot feathers hanging from the rear view and hemostats and pipes and roaches in the ashtrays. And I'd take my Bible with me everywhere I'd go. And every time I would try to read it, I'd just flip it open. And a lot of times I'd turn to a place where I knew Jesus was talking because it was in red. That's all I knew. And I'd read one scripture about six or seven times and not understand anything that I was reading. Now, the fact that I was high probably didn't help, Right? <laughs> But it was like reading Chinese. I really couldn't understand it. So I said, well, let's just go back here. And I'd flip to the Old Testament, and then I'd read, and David chased down 10,000 Philistines and cut their foreskins off. And I'd go, okay, maybe I don't want anything to do with the Bible, right? Because I didn't have any understanding. And I really wasn't reading it for the right reasons at those times. But when the hurricane hit and I walked back to my room, and nothing was working, I picked it up and I turned it open to Matthew chapter 7 and I read, the wise man hears the word and builds his house on the rock. When the wind and the rain and the floods come, that house stands firm because it's built on the rock, but the foolish man builds on the beach or the sand and when the wind and the rain and the floods come, that house crumbles because he heard the word and didn't do it. And I went, this is crazy. I just went through a hurricane and now I'm understanding what I'm reading? I was miserable. 
high, hot, meditating on a rock that had no power. And then I prayed the most powerful prayer. Help. It was the best, it was the greatest prayer I could ever pray. Lord, help. If you're there, God, if you're there, if you even exist, I need you. In that moment, I can't tell you I necessarily felt this huge, fiery, euphoric experience. But what I can tell you is I started the process in my journey. Months later, after I spiraled out of control, things just got worse for me. And that's why sometimes for some of you, when you make the decision to move towards the things of God, the enemy moves full speed ahead against you and things get worse and they manifest and you go, well, gosh, this God stuff, it's not for me because it got hard. Little do we know to be a disciple means to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him because we want a nice bed of roses and everything needs to be comfortable and nice, but you don't understand persecution and hardship because we don't, you don't know the word yet. That's why you got to get understanding, and you got to dive into the Word, and you need discipleship. You need somebody to teach you and to show you. You need fathers in your life and mothers in your life that can speak into your life and point you in the direction that God has for you. That's why I start out 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. You've got to have people that you can learn from and, be, and literally imitate, not as an imitation, but as a follower. And I want you to be inspired to ultimately follow Jesus. Follow me as I, as long as I'm following him, we're going to be in good shape, right? But if I'm blind, guess where we're going? The ditch, because it'd be the blind leading the blind. And that's why the greatest thing I can teach you is to get divine prophetic revelation, to hear God's voice for yourself, and to have understanding about what God's saying and doing for you, for your present situation, what he did in your past, and what he wants to do for you next. Because if you don't have that, you're going to live uncertain. You're going to live with doubt. You're going to live with fear. You won't stay restrained. You won't be disciplined. You'll want to quit. You'll want to give up. And then we'll become church shoppers, church hoppers, and we'll move from relationship to relationship, job to job, and we'll never settle on anything. And that's not what God calls us to do or how he calls us to live. He calls us to be a family. And that means we're committed no matter how much you spin out or what you do, and that means I love you even if I have to be firm with you. You know how many married couples I've married that were shacking up when they walked in and sleeping together and living together, and I loved them really well, and they finally came up to me and said, we want to do this the right way. We want to do this God's way. I say, okay, well, then I'm, I would be happy to marry you, but you're going to have to stop shacking up because if you shack up, you crack up with a smile because <laughs> I've cracked up before, and I've shacked up before. And so I put biblical guidelines and parameters in because I love you and I care about you and I want you to build on a firm foundation, not a cracked foundation. It's not because I want to hold you back from having sex, for goodness sakes. God created and designed it for a purpose. But the purpose is married. One, covenant. But if you can't see why and can't see the vision of it and you're not fascinated by it and really realize God has the best for you, you'll just feel like I'm beating you over the head with the Bible and putting restrictions and parameters on you. And we live in a PC culture where it's like, man, really? You mean I can't test drive the car before I drive it? No, you can't. <laughs> so This is so unpopular in our culture. Who cares? We're not of this world. We're of the kingdom. 
And God knows what's best and has the best for you, and I love you and I care about you. I want to see you healthy and strong. If you're single or you're a teenager or you're a young adult, I want to see you get married and it be awesome and you stay pure all the way till that day. And if you've already screwed it up, I want to see your virginity restored because God can do it and I want to see you live right and keep yourself. But if you don't get a vision and get fascinated by what God's doing and who he is, you'll never do it. That's why you got to get fascinated first. I'm going to talk about that here a little bit more. So months later, I was like, man, I was really at my end. So I was like, well, we'll just see. I kept getting this little voice like, let's just see what the Bible says. So I opened it up to Jeremiah, and I read how the Lord took Jeremiah to a potter's house. The potter was sitting at a spinning wheel, and he was making pottery. If you've ever done that before, you understand that. Making pottery, and the pottery got, it it started to spin out of wax. So you know what the, the potter did? Smashed it down. And I know the smashing down doesn't feel good, but if you'll trust the dying process, resurrection will come. Let God smash you down so he can resurrect you because when you're spinning out of whack, if you don't make the clay back into a lump and bring it back to its original purpose and design, you can't fashion it to a new beautiful vase. And then God says, hey, guess what? Just in case you forgot or didn't know, really the clay doesn't tell the potter what to do. The potter is making you. You're the clay, he's the potter, right? And I read that, and I went, what in the world? I had this revelation that I had really used my gifts, my talents, and even my looks, because I used to be really good looking back in the day. (laughs) Back in the day, I was like most popular in high school. Man, I was a stud. And I was like, man, I had all these talents, state champion, wrestler, conference champ, pole vaulter. I had all these things going for me. And what did I do? I spun out on drugs, acid, mushrooms, Grateful Dead concerts, smoking pot. I went to ladies' night, drinking beers, getting drunk. It's a miracle I was even still alive. I should have been dead. Racing down US-1 in South Miami at 100 miles an hour, running every single red light at 3 o'clock in the morning for 10, 15 miles with my buddies, drinking right out of the bar, blasted. And it was God's mercy and kindness. And when finally my world was smashed back down, I got the revelation that God wanted to build me into something bigger and better than what I currently was. Where I wasn't spending my life on drugs and alcohol and sex and self and me and self-gratification and living like an animal. Because that's what you do. Without the Spirit and without Christ in you, you really are like an animal. It's all about the next thing, the next hookup, the next, you know, greatest, your jobs, your money, whatever it is. And that's not how God called us to live. And so I read that, and then I just cried. I just wept. And that began the process and the journey of brokenness because I was contrite, Psalm 51. The sacrifice of the Lord are be broken, break yourself open, and be remorseful for what you did and how you lived. And suddenly, the, all of my, the, the people I used and the drugs I sold and the moms with kids that I sold crack to and all the stuff that I did in my past caved in on time. I felt the weight and the sorrow of it, and I began to repent and ask God for forgiveness for what I had done. And the real process of transformation began to happen because I was broken. And it was legit. No preacher had to tell it to me. It was me really realizing that I was that clay that spun out. And some of you want to keep being the spin out when God wants to make you to a beautiful vessel. But that takes molding and prying and pushing and twisting and spinning and all the things that a good potter does to your life. 
that's not out to kill you. It's out to kill you of you, but really he's out to bring you life. And my whole life's been the process of decisions like that. My whole life. I didn't want to go to Corpus. God twisted my arm and said, you're going to Corpus. I didn't want to work for a video church. It's the last thing I wanted. I was miserable. But you know what? If it wasn't for that last pastor, no matter what happened, if it wasn't for the pressing and the crushing, if it wasn't for me saying yes to something that I never in a million years would have wanted to do, I wouldn't be here today. If I didn't quit the $180,000 a year job and decide to go into full-time youth pastor ministry for $30,000, I would not be here today. And I made the decision to come to Corpus Christi, and I'm pastoring this campus church, and I was having such a hard time. Everything was time to the minute. Everything. I didn't preach. I was a hired facilitator. And many of you were there. But if I had not stayed the course and didn't get a divine word from God during that season, I wouldn't be here today. You know what the divine word was? I said, God, I'm so miserable. I'm like, what in the world? Why did you call me here? And I actually had two words. The day that I left Tulsa, Oklahoma, a prophet by the name of Doug Addison came. And he prophesied this word. I left early, and he gave the word after I left. And I knew he was going to. And I told one of my friends, text me the word. I knew he was going to give me a word. And here's what the word was. The word was, he gave it to the, to the recording. He said, David, I see you in the ha- I see God's hand on you, and you're like in a slingshot. And he's, gonna, he's pulling you backwards. And where you're going is going to feel like you're going backwards. Do you ever feel like you're going backwards? Do you ever feel like God told you something, and it's like, okay, God, it's like, what's happening here? You told me to do this, but it's not going the way that I thought it should go. And I feel actually like I'm for the worse. But had I not had that word of the slingshot, because he said, I see you being pulled backwards, and you're going to feel like you're actually going backwards. At the right time, he's going to let go of that slingshot, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to rocket ship into your destiny and the next thing God has for you. And then I said, God, I'm, I, I just can't stand Corpus Christi. It's like everybody's tomorrow, attitude, lack of, the culture I felt like was like too slow for me, and I, was, I didn't know anybody, and the coffee was horrible, and I just, I seriously was just, did not like it here. I grew up in South Miami, going to the Gulf Stream, you know, uh, 200 yards offshore. Here it was green water when I got here. I'm like, what, the beaches? I mean, I was like, had such a hard time. Everybody I ran into complained, like, why would you move to Corpus Christi? Now, make sure you understand, I love my city. It's my city. More than even my H-E-B, just so that you know. <laughs> I love my H-E-B, but I love my city even more. There's nowhere else I'd rather be, so that you know. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. And so, I was like, man, Lord, I'm miserable. Video church, no, f-. I was like, where's the fire? Where's the life? Where's the, uh, I mean, just like, it was just so lackluster. And you know what God said? He said, son, I didn't call you to a church via the avenue of a city. I called you to a city via the avenue of a church. And my eyes opened. And I said, I'm here for something so much bigger. It's not just about having our nice little church anymore. It, w- it was about me dying to a process. So I could, had I not stayed in the process or cut the hem of the garment and publicly said how miserable and dysfunctional I thought, instead I submitted and I served and I honored and I paid the price as long as it took because I had a word from heaven. 
And when you get a word from heaven, what it does is it sustains you, but helps you stay present because you know something bigger and better is coming for you. Instead of me chasing down my plan B. You all know about your plan B. Your plan B is, well, if it doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, you know, we tried. But just in case, I've got my fallback plan. And God's not a God of plan Bs. He's plan A all the time. He makes no mistakes. When he, does, when he designates or ordains something for your life, no man can stop it unless you make the choice to jump out of the frying pan or prematurely or, or you decide that you're going to abort the process that God has for you. And even then, guess what? He's still going to chase after you. You don't think so? You think you're so bad that God would give up? People live that way like, man, I'm so bad. I just, man, I just keep screwing up. You know the worst who's about that? Christians. You know why? Because you live in the world of, well, I should have known better. Or you did know better, but you just kept doing it. But see, the Lord says, while you were the most jacked up, Romans 5, Christ died for you. When you were in your worst place, he gave his life for you, which means he still gave his life for you. And as long as you have breath and you're breathing and you're not dead and in a coffin, God still gave his life for you. You still have another opportunity and another chance to repent and get back on track with what God has for you. And he wants to show you everything he has for you. I'm going to show it to you in scriptures here in a moment. He wants to show you everything he has for you right now. It's all been made available. But most people won't pay the price to get it. Most people won't get aggressive enough to get it. Most people will wake up and chase their emails and social media and their jobs and their money first instead of seeking him first. Most people are consumed about themselves rather than being consumed about where's he at, what's he doing, what's he saying, and what's he want for me. And that doesn't mean he wants to, God's not a micromanager. He's an incredible father that wants to teach you and lead you and guide you and work together with you. So I didn't want to come. Finally, God gave me that word. I said, I get it. I'm actually here to transform a city. Hence, ta-da. You know how many years ago that was? That was 2007. 2006, 2007. I'm like, man, I'm not going to make it in this town. And God said, oh, yeah, you are. So I stayed the course. And then one day I got fired. You know who else got fired? Half the people here, 225 people got let go from that church, including me. I said, where, where are they all going to go? He goes, they can go wherever they want to go. Well, what am I going to do? Eh, you're free to do whatever you want to do. You know, the last place I wanted to start a church was in a cafeteria. I told the Lord, I will never start a church in a cafeteria. Guess where Rock City started? <laughs> you know what else I told the Lord? We do not want to have a church in a shopping center. I wanted green pastures, still waters. I needed some fountains, <laughs> landscaping. <laughs> right? I'm like, who? A Hollywood video? No way. <clears throat> Every time I said no way, he said Yahweh. Let me just tell you, you want to. You think you don't want to do something? Just tell the Lord. You know, I tell people all the time. It's like, I, don't want to, I said, okay, just tell the Lord that right now. Go ahead. Open up your mouth. Say right now. Say it. They're like, 
No, I'm not going to say it. Because you know, the minute you say, I'm not going to do it, he says, oh, yeah, you are. And I remember when the shopping center came up. I was like, yeah, we'd already looked at it, which we had. And the real estate guy called me and he said, we were getting kicked out of First Christian Church. We were too loud and whatever. You're kicking us out of First Christian Church. Where are we going to go? I didn't know. I got a call from a real estate guy the next day. He's like, I got the perfect place for you. I said, where? He goes, the old Hollywood video in Flower Bluff. I'm like, no way. I, no, we've already looked at that spot. What else is available? He goes, yeah, wait. He goes, how many people do you have? I said, there's 225 of us. He said, do you want to grow? I said, we'll probably grow. He goes, then where are you going to park everybody? Because unless you got a million dollars in the bank and going to go build out in the country like Church Unlimited did, you got nowhere to go. And no bank's going to loan you money. I said, all right, you got me there. You got me there. I'm like. And then people started getting words in this congregation and family members like, that's it. That's it. That's it. And then you know what I finally did? I prayed about it. And it's like, yeah, that's where I've called you to go. I've called you to go to Flower Bluff. It wasn't my picking and choosing. It was my saying yes. Because more often than not, he takes you to the place that you don't want to go because he's got something bigger and you don't see it initially. But if you don't get the word from God about it, you'll be, you'll be unrested, you'll be impatient, and you won't stay the course for what God, and you'll jump out of the frying pan and try to lead yourself and do it your own way. I got millions of stories like that. My wife, when she showed me the, the Facebook picture of the house that we just moved into, this old farmhouse, here in the bluff, the first time she showed it to me, she's like, she's like, oh, this would be my dream. I said, not going to happen. And I'm just self-deprecating with you. You think you're the only ones that go through this? You think I live on super mount, top of Mount Zion all the time? When my wife said, we're going to name Zion Zion, I was like, no, we're not. She's like, I'm telling you, I know that's saying. I said, it's too Jewish. I'm like, can you imagine that coming from like Zion David Vendetta? I mean, you can't get much more Jewish than that. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. What if he's called in the Muslim nations? I'm like, I don't know. Finally, God wrestled me, and guess what? His name's Zion. I said, it's not going to happen. I thought all the reasons why that property couldn't happen, and in the natural, none of it could have happened, and guess where we're at? I said no to the shopping center. And every time, really the moral story is men listen to your wife. I mean, that's really the moral of the story. Just whatever your wife says, you'll hear the voice of God right there. How's that, all right? But the thing is, is every single decision that I made, I turned my ear to heaven. Every single decision, whether I initially believed it or wanted it or didn't want it, I made the decision to listen. And I made the decision to not lean on my own understanding, but to lean on him. I'm going to show you a great scripture for that. It's, it is most all the scriptures, in my opinion, revolve around this scripture, Proverbs 29, 18. When you do not have vision or revelation for your life, you will cast off restraint. And we're going to talk about the last part of the scripture here in a moment. But the, the word for revelation in the Hebrew literally means prophetic revelation, divine communication, an oracle, or guess what else? 
a dream. And people tell us, I don't, I don't dream. I don't see visions. Well, then you're not living in the promise. Did you know dreams and visions are a promise from God? Joel 2.28, in the last days I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Upon my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit. And then in Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes upon you and you will be endued with power. That promise is Joel 2, 28. So dreams and visions are vital to the Christian's life. But we don't really teach that enough. Most people think it's abnormal and it's like, oh, well, that was nice. No, imagine if you really, really were a dreamer and heard from heaven consistently and had oracles happening in your life. You know what an oracle is? This word revelation, back to Proverbs 29, 18, the word for revelation or vision also means an oracle. And I'm not talking about the old lady in the matrix. The oracle. All right. I'm not talking about that. You know what an oracle is? It's a short prophetic utterance. 1 Peter 4.1.1 says, let anybody minister, minister the oracles of God. An oracle means that I get divine inspiration and download from heaven, and I speak that word as God uses me. See, prophecy isn't always just foretelling. Prophecy is being God's mouthpiece right now. So when I speak, I learn to not speak of my own volition, but of his. That's how Jesus lived his life. Now, this takes time and process and culture, and you, you can have that, but it takes a price to pay. The price is what matters the most. You say, well, I don't dream. Let me tell you, every single one of you dreams. Everybody dreams. You just don't remember them. Or you wake up in the morning and it was like a fleeting thought, like, I had the strangest dream today. Must have been a pizza dream. Or, you know, I was like, wow, I had this odd thing. But I can't really remember it. Oh, well, what's happening on Instagram? What's happening on Facebook? What happened last night? Let's check the Fox News or CNN or whatever. We don't give precedence to it. Do you know you'll spend a third of your life dreaming? A third of your life. Did you know that a third of the Bible came through dreams and visions? You know why God speaks in dreams? Which is part of the promise? Joel 2.28, Luke 24.49. You know what? Acts chapter 2. You know why? Because many of us see in, in pictures. You see in video reels. And you can understand pictures. You can understand when God is trying to show you something through word pictures or, or pictures in the sleep. So what I do is I say every night when I pray with my kids, I lay hands on them. And they, and they pray out loud and say, Lord, I thank you for prophetic dreams and visions in the night. I thank you that I, and then in the morning, you know what I just said? Do you remember any of your dreams? And every now and then they do. Now, they don't really understand cultivating it. But I've got journals and journals and journals, journals. And every season I've ever been in, God has given me an answer through a dream about a big decision. A big decision. When I was at Victory, somebody called me a cult leader and said that I had long hair then, banging on drums and wild. You know, and people just didn't like that. And so somebody called me a cult leader and sent a letter to my pastor and said that I'm, 
you know, going too long on worship and being too loud and banging on the drums too much and blowing shofars and playing tambourines, and he's, you know, like a cult leader. And the pastor said, you know, called me and said, I want you to take all your percussion off the stage, never play a tambourine, definitely never blow a shofar, and I don't want you to at all do any of those things, and I'm going to time you to the minute, and we're going to be watching you and make sure that you're doing what I expect you to do. And I was so mad. I was manifesting, and I was like ready to quit. And I had a dream. I had a powerful dream. I was fishing in the flats with a bunch of young adults, and I caught and I hooked a big, beautiful black and gold fish like a sergeant major. It's, uh, you don't eat those. I caught it with this beauty, and the young adults were like, how'd you do that? I said, well, look at this lure I have. And then I'm fishing under the humble bridge, and there's huge trout. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm literally under the humble bridge in my dream, under the humble bridge. Fishing for these trout. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to catch those trout. So I go back, I get my lure, and I turn back, and now I could see with the sun glimmering on the water these huge translucent, like, glass snakes that you wouldn't even know were there. But the sunlight hit it just right. Well, I would catch those snakes, and I dropped down my line, and I hooked one in the head, and I lifted it up, and its head was this big. And my rod was bent over, and I lifted it up to set it on shore. And when I turned, I was at the altar of that church, right here at the altar of, the, of that church I was pastoring before. And I'm like, people were freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to kill that snake. And I grabbed the chair on the front row, and I used this leg right here, and I started smashing the snake in the head and crushing it right in the front. That was fun. Yeah. You know what the chair represented? Governmental authority. The, the chair represented my position in Christ and the authority I have and to stay seated and to trust God in what he was doing. So you know what I did? I stayed seated. And I honored every single thing that pastor told me to do. And I didn't do it without anger or complaining, but it didn't make any sense. And in the natural, I was miserable. But you know what? It didn't matter because in a short amount of time, I would marry Amber and I would get fired. And now here I am. And that's why this scripture is so important because if you don't get prophetic revelation from God, you won't make the sacrifices like Jordan made. And in demand, travel all over the world, worship leader, that could have huge jobs with big pay and go anywhere that he wanted to go but made a sacrifice because he couldn't take it anymore and being prostituted for his gift and his wife was struggling and battling sickness and he said, I'll do whatever it takes and God says, lay it all down and go wait tables at a restaurant because in a year, I'm gonna call you to Corpus Christi, Texas with no ministry position, no guarantees of anything but he didn't care because he said, I'll do whatever it takes, whatever it looks like. And we want our guaranteed positions and affirmations and recognition and our titles. And we want everything to be about us with everything sure and secure. I remember I got a great word from my last pastor. He was called to Oklahoma from Victoria. He said, God, if you make a way, I'll go. You know what God said? If you go, I'll make a way. He said, oh, God, man, you opened that door. Give me the big job. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. And then we jump city to city for jobs and money, and we find ourselves miserable and out of relationship and family and community because we chased money. And we've got to trust God that God will make a way for you when you stay rested and obedient. That's why you've got to get prophetic. It's divine communication. It's prophetic revelation from God. Otherwise, what will you do? You'll cast off restraint. You need prophetic vision in order to see where you've been, where you're at, and where you're going. You know what prophetic revelation does? It reminds you of where you once were and how much God's done in your life. You know how many of the scriptures, think of it in, in all throughout the Acts and all throughout scripture, there's a constant reminder of Egypt. Remember when God took you out of the land of Egypt. Remember the Red Sea? Remember when you were in bondage and God set you free? Because God never wants you to forget what he took you out of. He's the God that always brings deliverance and freedom to your life. And no matter what you're facing right now, he'll do it for you. If he did it then, he'll do it again. And if it's your first time, you got a Red Sea right in front of you. And I know it looks like, man, how am I going to cross through that Red Sea? It's like you got the Egyptian army and all your failures and all your mistakes and all the world and all your bills and all your sin and all your shame. It's all crashing down on one side. And then in front of you is this great expanse. They're like, how am I ever going to make it? I'm never going to get where I'm supposed to go. God called me over, wait, way over there? Over that? And, and then God says, raise your staff. Raise my promise. Raise my word. Because I told you I was going to deliver you. And you think a Red Sea is going to stop you? And you think your past is going to hold you back? Why don't you raise my promise up and watch what I'm about to do? Because I'll split that thing right in front of you. And you'll walk right through it. On, and when you get through it to the other side, guess what? You'll look back and see all your enemies and shame and failures are drowned in the sea. At the bottom of the sea. Right? So now I don't have to pick that up anymore. And when the enemy comes to try to lie to me and say, oh, well, you were just a this and you did that. And, man, if they really knew, I stand up in front of, the peop- I stand up in front of people that have no idea who I am and tell them I went to prison. And I don't even tell them why. I mean, shoot, they could have thought I was a murderer. And then I walk away with a smile and say, if they really want to know, they'll ask me. And in case you didn't know, I was busted for drugs going to a Grateful Dead concert. I spent a year in a minimum security country club, shooting pool, drinking ices, and going to the commissary and lifting weights and taking vitamins and tutoring illiterates while I read the Bible. It was awesome. (laughs) It was that or the Grateful Dead tripping acid. Thank God for prison. I have zero shame about my past. You understand? And I self-deprecate because you got to come to the place where you understand you're not defined by who you once were. And you can't let the fear of the future and what seems to be holding you back hold you back because you got to listen in here. Where there's no prophetic revelation or vision, you'll cast off restraint. Without vision and the ability to see and hear from heaven, you'll feel lost. You ever feel lost? As sons and daughters, God doesn't want you to ever feel lost. I never want my kids to feel lost, ever. Now, there are times where it's like, God, I don't hear you. I'm like, where are you at, Laura? Man, I don't know what's happening right now. And then I'm reminded it's the glory 
of God to conceal a matter, but the honor and glory of kings to search it out. And I say, I'm getting in my truck right now, and I'm going over to that bridge, and I'm going to sit there and stare at those egrets and seagulls and jump and mullet until I get an answer. And I'm going to put some worship on. I'm going to sit at the fireplace of his word. And I'm going to wait on you until I get th- I'm going to seek because I know you've got an answer for me. And I know I may have bombed it and blew it. But what I understand is if I get fascinated and captivated by you, all that stuff gets left in my wake. It doesn't define me. And I'm not going to sit back and go, well, if I get myself all cleaned up, you know, if I stop smoking, which I don't smoke, but I'm going to use some of you as an example. When I stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing drugs, and stop sleeping around, then I can get all fired up. Yeah, you, I promise you it doesn't work like that. You don't go, oh, let me get this. This is a towel right now. And I'm really dirty from a day of construction or landscaping. And I'm sweaty and I'm about to take a shower. I run on the hot water and wait, I won't do that. But you understand? It's like, how you don't get clean before you jump in the shower. Throw your towel down. Get in dirty. God, that's what God does best. You think you're going to fix yourself? You can't fix yourself. You can only position yourself. Turn the water on and get under the faucet. Just stand there. Let the water do what the water does best. Let the sunlight do what the sunlight does best. You stay in position because you have prophetic revelation. Now I'm in the present. I'd be a terrible dad if I wasn't present. And my wife will call me out on all day long. Where you at? Where you at? You're like, oh, la, 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 land. And my kids are like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I didn't even hear half what they said. Or can you imagine I'm sitting with the family and the child's being abused and there's, there's major dysfunction at home and I'm like, hurry up with this counseling session. I got to go eat. We, you can't live your life like that. Don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble of its own. You got to learn to be present, but if you don't get the divine revelation from God, and that means more often than not, I'm getting it right here, and then God speaks upon it to me. So I'm going to show you a scripture where Jesus says, If you abide in me and my spoken Rhema right now, divine revelation oracle is abiding in you, it doesn't say Logos. People read their Bible their whole life and are dead as a doornail. But then there are people that are super revelatory, dreams, visions, prophecy, and I'm an apostle, and I'm so great, and I'm so revelatory, and they're dead as the doornail. They've got no biblical foundation in their life. It's not one or the other. That's a dumb dichotomy. It's both together. You say, God, I really want to hear your voice. I need some revelation. He says, ta-da, 66 love letters. Every answer for your whole life is right in here. And as you open up, open up God's word and begin to meditate and chew on it and ruminate on it, what happens? He begins to descend upon you and speak to you about your situation, your job, your future, your life, your future spouse. The only way that you can stay single is if you really believe God's got the best for you and understand why God wants marriage for you and that God's got a husband and a wife that he's going to pick out for you and it's going to be amazing. And if you fully believe God's got great promises for you, 
and you fully believe that God has the best for you, you can stay the course because you've got prophetic revelation and divine insight. And you, now you know that God, will, God won't fail you and let you down. He's never failed me or let me down, ever. Without vision, you'll constantly be uncertain about your future or question or doubt what's next. And in turn, you'll question so many other things about your life and the nature and character of God, like these things. Your identity, that's the first thing, who you are. That's exactly the first thing that the devil tempted Jesus with. If you really are. If you're really the son of God, then why, don't you, why can't you just do a miracle right now? He says, I'll show you a miracle. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema spoken word from heaven. That's how I live. And he would refute the devil with his lies, with God's promises and God's truth and divine revelation. You will question your purpose, God's purpose in your future. The result of no prophetic vision or revelation for your life is this. Number one, you'll cause to take, you'll take things into your own hands. God's taken too long. He's just taken too long. And he knew I needed this money a lot sooner, so I just got to go take that job no matter what. God's just taking too long. He knew that I, that I needed this now, and he didn't do it when I thought he should. Or God, that wife you gave me, it's her fault. Or that husband, or that city, or that church, I mean, where, or that job. You'll question everything. And then the next thing is, if you don't take it into your own hands, guess what you do? Quit, which is really taking things into your own hands. You ever feel like you want to quit? Oh, don't pretend. There are many times I feel like I want to quit. My wife and I, in the early days of our marriage, the worst thing that we could have said in our hard times, you ready? Maybe you would have been better off with somebody else. You should have married. And we start to second guess and we start to question. I had to make a decision many, many years ago. I'd never say that again. I'm not throwing out the divorce word. I'm not going to quit. You know how many times that I felt like I bombed it so bad here preaching? I'm just like, nobody laughed. I wasn't funny. I didn't, there was no fireworks, dynamite, wind, thunder, lightning, all the stuff I love. That's how I'm wired. And there's just these Sundays, I'm like, man, wow, y'all came here and I just let you down. And I go home. These pastors go through this, don't they, Pastor Rick? And there's, I go home, I'm like, man. And then I get, I'll get news that day. Somebody's decided they're going to jump ship and leave. Or I'll get news that day that, you know, uh, they, you brought a friend for the first time. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, of all the times. And I bought him, like, I just feel like I just want to quit. It happens. But when you have divine inspiration and revelation and confirmation from what the Lord's saying and in a word, you don't give up because you see the vision and you know it's much more than that. And then God brings somebody in your life that he's brought here and he's looked at me and said, I said to him once, I said, man, I really just feel like I bombed it today. He goes, it doesn't matter. Did you do what the Lord told you to do? Did you give it your best? I said, yeah. 
He said, then you did great. Because if I'm measure, being measured based on performance, you'll just find somebody better than me. Can you imagine if I said to my wife, it's been a good run, eight years, I'm just wondering what's next for me. That wouldn't work, would it? Nor is that how we're called to live. But that's what happens when you don't have God's promise for your life and word for your life and prophetic revelation for your life. You'll constantly question and doubt or you'll live in fear instead of confidence. And ultimately, you'll cast off restraint. I'm going to teach you something that I think is so incredible about this. To cast off restraint means to avoid and ignore. It means that I'm avoiding and ignoring God's divine guidance and purpose and plan for my life because I'm letting loose of it. I don't want it, so I'm going to turn a blind eye to it and ignore it. It means that, that God's best for you actually looks like bondage. Think about it. I'm casting restraint off because I feel restrained. This is what people used to tell me all the time. I just want to do whatever I want to do. What's wrong with smoking a fat one, getting blasted every now and then, having a few girlfriends, a little premarital sex? Religion's bondage, they would tell me, that actually you're actually not free. And they see God's restraint as bondage. Why else would you cast it off? When the truth is God puts parameters and guidelines because he knows he wants to make you healthy and prosper you, and he actually has what's best for you. So he says, if you adhere to my purposes and promises and guidelines and fences, which are good for you because they keep you from straying away and getting eaten by wolves and all the devouring things of this world, God says, if you'll adhere to my promises and my purposes, they actually aren't restraints. They make you bloom and blossom into the more God has for you. You got to see this. If you don't get divine revelation, all you'll see is God as a harsh dad with a lot of policies and rules and regulations. And then you say, I just want to be free and cast off the restraint. When the, when the reality is, is when you cast off restraint, you really go into bondage. You know how I know that? You know when people I see leave and come back, it's like, man, I thought I could do it my own way, and I threw, it, threw the things of God away. And man, I just got my hiney kicked. Because you don't break God's laws, they break you. It's just a matter of time. Psalm 73, King David thought that the world was prosperous and had money and was, man, everything was great. And they didn't have any problems like I have as a Christian. And I just washed my hands in innocence in vain. And I'm going to throw it away. And then he says this powerful thing, until. Everybody say until. I got a divine revelation, and I saw that their feet are actually on slippery, on a slippery, they're on a slip and slide. People that aren't living according to God's design are on a slip and slide, and it's just a matter of time, mark my words, it's just a matter of time. And that's why you've got to understand that, that the last part of this verse is so important. Happy is he who keeps the law. God put the law as a divine protection and fence to keep you in God's purpose and design, but you could never live by the law. So instead, from the written law of the old covenant, he brings the law written on your heart. 
instead of having to adhere to rules on a page, now we're led by the Holy Spirit. And the law really was designed to show you that you could never do it on your own, but if you kept it, you'd be happy. And today, what it, the, the, the modern day understanding of this is happy as he who keeps their eyes on the prize, on Jesus full time, and is, pays the price to be aggressive, to be a real disciple, not a nice Sunday morning church goer and a really good, nice believer. I don't need more nice believers. I need disciples that are laying their lives down and taking up their cross and saying, when that you get that booty call in the middle of the night, you're like, stop calling me. And you know what? I'm deleting your number. And you know what? Stop messaging me. Block. Because I'm restrained now. The restraint is for your, your best protection. It's like my kids go run out in the highway. No, I'm going to restrain you. They want to run around in the car without a seatbelt. No, I'm going to put a seatbelt on you. They want to play with fire. Not going to happen. There's all kinds of things little kids have no clue, but I put restraints on them for their benefit, not to hold them back, but because I love them and I care about and I want them to kill themselves because outside of God's design and restraint, you're going to die. Do you all understand that? I'm saying it to as nice and loving and non-weirdo religious as I could say it to you. Right? Some, there's, there's, there's preachers that just say it mean and you just feel like, wow, man, that guy's mad. I'm not mad. I love you. <clears throat> it's the heart of a father for you. And so happy is he that keeps the law. Happy is he that in modern day, is obedient to everything Jesus says and does for your life. Let me tell you this. I love this so much. To cast off restraint means you stop being a leader. Guess what? I don't care anymore. I'm not going to lead myself. I'm not going to lead my family. I'm not going to lead in my church. I'm not going to volunteer. Now, you guys should know, I don't beat the drum of volunteering here. I feel like if I could get you flamed on spiritually and full of the Holy Spirit and divine revelation, then you'll stay restrained and say, what can I do to serve and help? And that's happening, and it'll happen more. But what happens is, is if you cast off restraint, you stop putting yourself in the position to be a leader, and all you become is a follower. And I don't want that for you. No vision leads to hopelessness, and when you're hopeless, you actually stop believing God has something bigger and better for you. You find yourself stuck. Do any of you ever feel stuck? Come on. Well, you're going to get unstuck right now. You feel stuck in the mundane, the routine, the ministry, the marriage, the money, whatever it is, and that's why God gives you the guidelines and parameters. True happiness is found or discovered in the constraints of revelation, the counsel of the Savior. His parameters actually protect us and cause us to live in true health and prosperity. There's so many great examples in the Bible. How about Noah? Noah had never even seen rain, and everybody thought he was out of his mind in building an ark. Right? But he kept building, didn't he? How about Moses staring down the Red Sea? with the Egyptian army on the other side. How about Abraham called to sacrifice his only son? 
that he believed was a total promise from God. Now God's saying, let it go. And then he says to his servant, you wait here. Isaac and I'll be back. We're going to worship. How about Joseph having all these dreams and then just telling his family and now his brothers hate him for the dreams he's having and basically sell him into slavery, throw him in a pit, and then he gets lied about at Potiphar's house and then thrown into prison. And then God takes a dreamer who never gave up and puts him second in command in all of Egypt over the economy. How about Esther? Whether I live or die, my life's not my own. For such a time as this, I was born. How about Naomi? <laughs> you know, I love Ruth, but in so many ways, Naomi's the star to me. Because Naomi, when Ruth said, I'm going with you, she said, no, you're not, you're not going to make it there in the house of bread in Bethlehem. And you just stay here with your family, and you'll find another husband here. And she pressed on, and you know what Naomi said? Let's go. Thank God. David and Goliath. Joshua and Jericho. How about Jesus? He was persecuted from his birth and destined to die. Forsaken by his friends and family, he was a man of sorrows. He was despised, rejected, afflicted, and he was acquainted with grief, yet he never gave up and he never took his eyes off the prize. John 5, 19 and 20. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son. And, verse 20, shows him all things that he himself does. He loves you. Let me ask you a question. You're a dad. You got a lot of cool stuff. Is there anything that you own that you wouldn't want your kids to have? One of your cars? They could have them one day. When you pass away, it all goes to them, right? Is there anything you don't want them to have? Is there anything you don't want your kids to have? Moms, is there anything you own? A, di a special diamond. Maybe your great-grandmother's ring. Something that you have in the treasury box. No. When I, I may not want them to have it before I die. <laughs> But one day it's going to be theirs. The Father loves. Now put your name in there. Look at the verse. Put your name in there. And shows you all things that he himself does. And he'll show you even greater works. Why? So that you will marvel. Look at the last part. This is the real marvel right here. It means to be completely fascinated in wonder and awe. First for yourself, and then when other people look at your life, they go, wow. God really is real, because if he could save somebody like you, if he could get you, if he could get you, if he could do what he did to you, if he could change you, do you understand? And now people marvel that the once fill in the blank, drug addict, drug dealer, clubber, stripper, I don't care what your past is, is now on fire for Jesus. If he did it for you, 
he could do it for me. And you never backed down, and you were authentic and real, and now, through divine revelation, you're restrained. And when people once saw restraint as bondage, they now see it as freedom because of what they saw in you. And now, the only way to live by divine revelation is, when he sits, I become like Mary. When he stands up, I move with him. When he says, do this, feed them, break that bread, yeah. go here, go there, you, you start to live like Jesus. I only do. Proverbs, or, uh, Romans 8, 14, the true sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit. The true identity of sonship is being spirit-led. Now it's divine revelation, and I'm fully restrained. I'm disciplined. Think of, a, of an Olympic athlete. Yeah. How many of you are athletes here? How many of you like to work out? How many of you like to diet? Don't raise your hand, because it's most of you that don't. But what you understand, if you've got to lose weight or get healthy or whatever it is, you've got to be disciplined to do it. Discipline and disciple are go hand in hand. And it's for a purpose because God cares about you and there's only one of you and I do not want to prematurely do your funeral. I don't want to do your funeral until you're, I'll probably die before most of you's funeral. I'd be okay with that. Like when I'm 98 or nine. <laughs> Some of you will still be around then. You'll be old, but you'll still be around. But don't cast off restraint. And keep your eyes on the prize. Happy is he who follows and adheres and loves the law, which today is God's commandments of loving him first and loving your neighbor likewise. And you won't go astray. You can do it. And some of you are feeling like you're just stuck. Well, it's time to get unstuck. And as much as I'd love to just grab you, by the ankle, flip you upside down and shake you as much as I'd love to just uh, squeeze you and put it inside of you. It doesn't work like that. As much as I'd just love lay hands on you and I'm going to impart to you what I got. Here it comes. Poof, and you're changed. It doesn't work like that. All of us have to pay the same price. You can't bypass God's price. Kanye cannot bypass God's process. You know that, right? And I thank God for Kanye. But he doesn't get to bypass. He doesn't get to go from an acorn to an oak tree. Neither do you. Stay the course, guys. And every night before bed, Lord, I thank you for vision. I thank you for dreams. I get visions all the time, and it's normal, and it's not weird, and it's not so super spiritual you can't understand it, and no, I didn't have cherubim and seraphim come fly around my head that I could see, and giant lions pouncing on my head, and doves were twirling around my eyeballs. For me, it's I'll be sitting, and in God's creation, or God will begin to unfold a picture to me about something he wants to say or do about my future. And I see it well in advance, like this church, like what's coming, like the city, like the purpose of transforming culture and city. And I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay restrained. I'm staying restrained. 
so that I don't get disqualified. And, I don't, and some of you feel disqualified or stuck. And if that's you, I'm pray for you. Why don't you all stand up? I'd like to ask my prayer partner team to please come up.